It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 435 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening. This week it's another great Kickstarter doubleheader episode, and it launches with the return of Barb Kaleberg from Silverline Comics. They have a Kickstarter happening right now, of course, and the book that she's involved with is called Divinity. It's described this way, 11-year-old Divinity Gray's life changes forever after the suspicious death of her parents. Marine Sergeant Zach Gray, the older brother she barely knows, becomes her guardian, but when he discovers Divinity's mysterious healing powers, their lives take a dangerous turn. With the help of a few friends, Zack and Divinity must go on the run to keep Divinity and her powers out of the hands of an evil cabal. We go in depth into the series, why this comic shows that Barb is more than just a terrific inker, and what she has in store for us in the months ahead. There's another book involved in this Kickstarter, and it's called Twilight Grimm, and we discuss that as well. Then everything wraps up with my great conversation with Jonathan Hedrick, a comic creator from Freak Show Princess and Capable. Jonathan has a Kickstarter happening right now for issues number one and two of Capable. So we talk about how these books are created, who the characters are, and we touch on a new series that has just been announced since we recorded this called Recount, coming from Scout Comics. Now, Capable is described this way. Derek Davidson is just your average high school kid. He's shy, awkward, bullied, and he happens to use a wheelchair. But suddenly Derek's world turns upside down when he wakes up with the power of super speed. What will Derek do with this new power, and who else has become super capable? We discuss how this book came to be, and who the various characters are, along with what Jonathan has coming in the months ahead, including Recount. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome back to the podcast, Barbara Kalberg, inker extraordinaire and who has a great Kickstarter going on right now with Divinity. It's a silver line double feature. Yours is, I think your part is Divinity, right, uh, Barbara? That's correct. It's it's a double feature uh, featuring my book, Divinity Number One, and uh, one from R.A. Jones and Rob Davis, Twilight Grimm Number One. Okay. So you get a double, two for one here. All right, so let's see, and we're recording this a little ahead of time, and you have a goal that you're almost halfway there, which is great at this time. Hopefully, by the time this post, you'll be a lot farther along. And it looks like your story is your pay. Yeah, your story is twenty-four pages. Mm-hmm. And well, let's get into this because you're an inker by trade. I am. I am. I so, have been an inker for thirty years, and this is kind wow. of pushing into new new areas for me. So, you know, some people think that once you develop your place that you stay there, but you're obviously not con- you know, content to just inking after 30 years. You want to do other stuff. So, yes, that's right. 
That's right. And, so, and Bleeding Cool just did an article on me, too, about pushing uh, out uh, of my comfort zone, so to speak. Wow. See, that's a good thing. That's right. <laughs> Not everybody does that. Every I, I, I was talking with somebody, and I was just saying that, you know, certain writers are Western writers, and that's all they ever write are Westerns. And you always wonder, what would they do with a crime drama? But uh, what, what you're doing is you're stretching those muscles and going in another direction. I think that's cool. Well, it's, um, you know, I was approaching 60, and I've been inking for 30 years, and I'm very comfortable with that, and I love inking. It's not that I don't want to give it up or anything, but I, I've been doing this for a long time, and, and you do it for a long time and, and like this, and you always have your own ideas, or you see stories, and you say, well, I, I could have done this better, or whatever. And so I, I finally told myself, you know, if I'm ever going to do this, I better get off my ass and do it now. <laughs> you know well that's good uh, you know uh, some people never get around to it but you're getting there so that's a good thing you're in a good place so why don't i go ahead and read what divinity is about from the the kickstarter it says 11 year old divinity gray's life changes forever after the suspicious death of her parents marine sergeant zach gray the older brother she barely knows becomes her guardian but when he discovers divinity's mysterious healing powers their lives take a dangerous turn with the help of a few friends, Zack and Divinity must go th- on the run to keep Divinity and her powers out of the hands of an evil cabal. And most cabals are evil, it seems like. <laughs> yes, that's probably why they're called cabals. Yes, right. So where did the idea come from? Um, you know, I've tossed around the ideas subconsciously for years, and I, I sure wish I could heal. Um, you know, I've, I've got a daughter who's got issues. I've got a brother who's got cancer. Um and, you know, everybody wants to be able to, to help their friends and family, their loved ones and stuff like that. But when you really think about it, would it be such a blessing to be able to heal? I mean, if you really think about how it would change your life, if it ever got out, you'd never be able to step out your front door, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. you'd have everybody and their dog after you. You'd have every dictator, every uh two-bit mob boss, um, every think tank or black opsider or government um, lab or pharmaceutical company, or they, they'd all be after you, every religious fanatic, you know? It wouldn't be as fun as what you think it would be. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always seen, you know, uh, uh, stories about people who like religious healers and they go on, a, you know, they, somebody stand up and heal kind of stuff. And I always worry about that is that really real or is that is that kind of a show for our benefit yeah to see but this is obviously real uh do you talk about where the healing abilities come from it's not explained and it's not going to be explained at least for the first few issues um it's i'm i purposely did not go into any specific religious backgrounds because I wanted this to appeal to everybody and I want everybody else to be able to put their own spin on it. So it's really not going to be explained. It's there. She's the only one in the, in the book that's got this ability. I didn't want spandex superheroes or, you know, uh, the ultras uber villain or anything because the real world has got plenty of its own villains all by itself. So she's the only one that's going to have any powers in this. And uh, she's 11 years old. Uh, Her older half-brother is a Marine. He's 24. And, you know, they're 13 years apart. So when he went off to war, she was maybe five years old. You know, she barely knows him. 
And so he's got to come home. And he had thought that his whole life was going to be the Marines. He was all set to make that his career. And suddenly he's given a hardship discharge and and has to go home and take guardianship of this little tween. So you got the tween and the Marine, and you can imagine how that's going to work out. So that's going to be a whole underlying subplot is, is that they have to learn how to become a family because they do not get along at first. Hmm. Now see, one of the things that you know, I am always thrilled, and we talked about this before I started to, to record, about the fact that uh, uh, the comics industry is dominated by men shall we say. And it's always so nice. I'm always encouraged when I see a, a woman step up and, and do this kind of good thing like you're doing. I mean, you, you obviously you've got the chops for, for inking and good things like that, but to take a little step forward as far as doing the storytelling is great for me. And I just, you know, I'm thrilled to see you do it. I mean, I'm just, I'm so happy that you are getting the opportunity to make this happen. It's just, you know, I, I hope it encourages other women to do that. Well, I have to admit, I mean, the story's mine, the characters, the plot, everything is mine, but I am not very versed on how to script a comic book. I can write till the cows come home, but it's, that's a different animal than actually scripting out a sequential story. So I had to bring on a little help for that. And I brought an old friend, R.A. Jones, from back in my Malibu days on to help me script it. So that turned out really, really well. Um, we, we were able to bounce ideas on various um, aspects of the story back and forth together. But it was, it's definitely my baby. You know, he, he, he asked me how I feel about every step of the way, what he's doing, and if this is how the character would act or um, react. So it's, it's very much a symbiotic relationship. Very cool, very cool. Now, of course, the other aspect that thrills me is to have a female lead character. I, I, I'm so excited when I see those kinds of things because as I like to tell people, we've seen men do everything from scoundrels to scientists to you name it. They've, we've had men and everything about it, but I don't think we've nearly scratched the surface of, of women characters, especially leads. And so for me to see this the, uh, girl taking the uh, being the thing that everything centers around that's going to be really exciting for me to see i'm going to really be excited to see how you do that i uh it's, it's going to be real interesting for me because i don't think we like i said i don't think that we've really begun the process of doing that so we will actually have two very strong females in this although i I have a very strong male. I like my male characters too. I mean, I like to fall a little bit in love with a hero, you know? So I have the, uh, the brother, Zach, he's, he's going to be um, very much a part of the story too, but we have, we're going to be bringing on uh, one of Zach's Marine friends that uh, was recently discharged, Olivia Barnes. And uh, so she's going to go on to run with them. So it's going to be kind of a trio. And the thinking behind this was that we wanted something along the lines of TV shows such as the Fugitives or The Incredible Hulk, where you always had an, an overarching plot of the hero or heroine trying to remain free, you know, from the capture, from whomever. But every every few uh, issues deals with an a little individual episode, so to speak, a subplot of characters where you, and then you have this overarching um, main plot of the evil cabal that's after them. So it's kind of like a road show. 
Mm-hmm. No. Now, I'm interested that Divinity is her name. Yeah. Her nickname is Vinny. It's Zach and Vinny. Okay. Because <laughs> I always worry when somebody says, when somebody's name is a godlike thing, I always wonder, does that, is that a hint as to, you know, where it her was powers purposeful. are coming from? It was purposeful. Okay. Okay, I mean, so. obviously, healing has to come from somewhere, but it's never explained. So it's a, it's got to be divine from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And some, and of course, that doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about that. There's lots more to be discovered, I'm sure. That's right. As we go along, so that that's a good thing. Uh, now, one of the things I really noticed, and I was real pleased to see on the Kickstarter, is that this four issue miniseries is completely finished. The first issue is completely finished. Um, okay. The second issue is scripted and is ready to start penciling anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an amazing penciler, uh, Alex Sarabia. He lives in Mexico. Um, and the way that I ran across him was just kind of divine in all in itself. I had uh, I'd gotten the go-ahead from Roland, uh, Silverline, to go ahead and develop this story um, myself. But he, he pretty much put it all on my lap. He goes, go find your penciler. And I'm like, uh, okay. And you know, the first place I did was I dipped into the morass that is um, deviant art mm-hmm. because I knew that I couldn't pay somebody up front. And um, I wanted somebody who would be willing to work with me. And I had a very specific look in mind. Um, but deviant art is really, really a, a swamp. Um and I'd spent a long time looking. And then one day on Facebook, um, Alex, uh, a friend requested me and also sent me a private message and says, I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I've, oh, I really, really want to work with you day, someday. That would be my dream. And I'm like, okay. So I flip over to his page and I'm like blown away by the amazing artwork on, on there. So I pe- private messaged him back and I said, how about right now? <laughs> and that's how we hooked up. He's fantastic. He's been doing some some work for Kevin Van Hook as well. And as you can see, I've got some on the Kickstarter page. I've got a, a nice uh, review from Kevin Van Hook and a nice one from Maggie Thompson as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, what's that been like, though? I mean, you know, you're you're, you're in the captain's chair, basically of this and you know if you go to a, other publishers they will they'll so here's we got this artist for you and here we got this for you and what was it was that fun for you because the reason i asked that is because when i started to do this podcast i did it because i was interested in the whole process mm-hmm. i wanted to know what it was like to do every step of the way i wanted to you know to record the things i wanted to edit it i wanted to pick the music out i wanted to do this do that and the other and I just wondered if that was similar of you. I mean, when you got into this, and of course, Roland obviously had faith in you that you'd be able to do this. What was the, Has that been a, a – have you enjoyed that as much as you thought you might? Or is this – what's been your experience? <laughs> <laughs> it's nerve-wracking is what it is. Because all of a sudden, all of the responsibility is on your shoulders, whether it's a success or not, you know. And you've got a – and while – the people at Silverline have done a really good job of keeping everybody crowd. It's ultimately up to me to be the cheerleader, you know, or, or the last say on, on the artwork. And Alex was really good about shooting me the roughs for each page and says, do you like this? Is there anything that you want changed? And I would make some suggestions 
and he was very, very good about taking my suggestions. And, and RA was the same about changing um, the script. And of course, I was the anchor, so I had the total say over that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, and, you're, and you're right, it is, I have been very, very content with being just, and then there, there's, I shouldn't say just, um, an anchor for 30 years, but there comes a point in your life when you, when you say it's time to push that envelope. And not, so not only am I pushing myself out into doing the writing, but I'm also teaching myself coloring as well. And um, I'm actually coloring a, a, one of the uh, Silverline books now, Sirens. I've only been coloring for five months, but eh, what the hell? Wow. Hey, you know, that's the thing. I, has it... I'm just wondering, has it been what you expected it to be, to be in charge, or have you been surprised by it? No, it's pretty much been, you know, what I expected. Um, it's been easy to work with these people. They're very, I mean, everybody that's working on the book is professional. You know, first of all, that's that's a huge thing. Um, Alex is fairly new to the industry, but everybody else that I'm working with are are old pros at it. I mean, a lot of us have been around since the early Malibu days. Uh, Silverline is just riddled with old Malibu people, mm-hmm. including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all know what's what, you know, and how the game is played. And uh, we're all very professional about it. So that has been a joy. It's, it's, uh, it's when you run across new people that really have never uh, worked in the industry before, and they've got their own ideas. That's when you run into problems, but I haven't run into that, thankfully. I mean, not, not on this project. <laughs> I have in my career, but not on this project. Now, well, let's talk a little bit about the writing, too. I, as far as – now, it's a four-issue miniseries – did you start out with you wanting it to be a forest issue miniseries or was it something that once you started to write the story, it started to take on a life of its own and it became more than just like a one shot. It became a, this, this miniseries. No, it was always designed to be a four issue miniseries, leaving it open ended at the end of the fourth uh, issue. They've resolved their initial conflict, but not the overarching conflict. And they've, they hit the road. So you see them, you know, driving off with an open-ended, you know, message at the end. But the reason that most people do four-issue uh, books is that they, that's exactly the right number of issues that you can gather into a graphic novel. Mm. So almost all of the books at Silverline are, start out as four issues to begin with. That can be collected, and then they go on to the next and, and it's been a success. That's a successful formula. I mean, if you look at like Brian Polito or, or uh, Billy Tucci, that's, they do, they do uh, graphic novels, you know, which is basically four issues combined. Um, and that's been a successful uh, formula for them uh, on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris, I, I want to explore a little bit more about the characters. I, I always have to ask people who write, uh, did you develop these characters in your imagination? Did you use people that you knew as sort of the, the, the groundwork for them? How did you come up with these characters? Is that's <laughs> I have a very, very odd way of, of coming up with, I've written almost all my life. And what happens, my creative process is very, very strange. Um, I'll have an idea that will cogitate around in my brain for for a long long time and then 
Um, it'll sit there and it'll bubble away subconsciously. And then one night I'll, I'll go to sleep and I'll have a very, very vivid dream. And it will be, it will all be there. The, the plot, the characters, everything will be there. And I will wake up and I will remember it all and I'll write it down. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Strange, I know. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, uh, I, there's a lot of people I think would love to be able to do that. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that, that everything's hammered out. That means I have all the initial characters and the plot and, and what they look like and everything. But you've got to sit down and hammer out some details. Like I, They don't have names in my dreams. I have to come up with those later. Um, Zach... Uh, he's the Marine. Um, he's very, very loosely based on my son. Um, my son is um, Air Force, uh, has been for 16 years. He's a Master Sergeant. So I have a very uh, definite fondness for the military. I'm a mm -hmm. military mom. Oh, boy. So I, I like that my hero is a, is a, a military. Good. Good, good. And um, divinity is not patterned after somebody you know. No, divinity, and she's a half sister, um, uh, and that wasn't there wasn't any particular planning for that. That's just the way that it popped up in my head. Um, she's biracial. That wasn't planned by no political agenda behind that. That's the way it was in my dream. So that's the way she is in the book. There's nothing, nothing um, behind that. Um, I just need the dream needed uh, them to be far apart in age so that they didn't really understand each other. They come from completely different worlds. She's a tween just on the cusp of womanhood. She's moody and sassy and she's, she's sometimes she's a child and sometimes she's a teen. And then you've got a Marine who's, who's, um, whose motto is, you know, adapt and overcome. Well, he's going to have his, his hand, his hands, tied with this one he's going to have his hands full trying mm -hmm. to figure this, this out marines and tweens don't exactly mix very well because he's going to want it everything to go his way you know you follow my orders and that's the way it's going to be and well you know how that well that's going to work on a tween because mm -hmm, the tween feels exactly the same way <laughs> that's right and then so there's gonna poor, there's going to be poor olivia stuck in the middle trying to play media um mediate between the two yeah, that'd be great. There's not something you eat certain nights that you get these dreams, is there? <laughs> no, no, I, I can't explain it. I've, I've had several um, stories like this um, I've jotted down over the years uh, that come. They will, they take a while. I'll have a kernel of an idea and they will just rattle around in my head for the longest time. And then it'll just gel. It'll just come together. I have no idea how. Very cool with that. Now, gosh, now we've talked about the character and the creation of the character. What about the looks of the characters? Uh, did, did Alex kind of come to you and say, you know, you kind of describe the characters and then, or did you have kind of a, a, already a sketch in mind for him to look at? I actually, I did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, Zach is based on um, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah, and very, very loosely. I just wanted tall, blonde, you know, and and fit. And um, let me see if I can. Oh yeah, Olivia uh, was based on Katrina Kaif, um, uh, an actor um, 
Israeli actor, actually, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't any any particular actor or actress that was that uh, Vinny was was based on. Um, just a um, little girl, you know. And 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 somebody somebody uh, asked me on Facebook. She says this looks a lot older than an eleven year old girl. I said, Have you Googled? 11 year old girls lately. I mean, not that you really, really want to look like a pervert or anything, but they look the range. It looks on 11 year olds range from seven to 16. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So it's a whole different world as far as, cause you know, when you and I were growing up, it was a very different universe as far as like what girls look like and, and you know how they developed and stuff like that there's a lot more maturing going on it seems to me uh with younger girls yes we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of great art available too on the kickstarter i've had a, i have a, a lot of good friends and um, they were willing to kick in stuff i have um artwork from jeff johnson um kevin west rick hoberg and um Oh, was oh Mitch Faust? That's right. Um, that's they're all available, and they've all been so nice. I had a couple other people lined up too, but the uh, the virus kind of derailed those. So mm-hmm. as with everything, and it was that was another thing about running the Kickstarter at this time. It, it was a gamble. It's a gamble because you are kind of balancing. Um the timing with everybody not having money for COVID because of COVID against nobody having any comic books to read at the moment. So it, it's a gamble, but we really couldn't hold it because we've got so many books in the pipeline at Silverline. I also happen to be the CFO at Silverline. So yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, that helps. You know exactly how much to, uh, should have, how much should be spent on what? Yeah, I know how many books we've got um, coming down. That's also another reason why we had to go with the uh, double feature. It's because we've got so many books coming out that we would have to do a Kickstarter a month, which isn't really feasible. So we are embarking on this new idea where we're going to do double features every two months just to get everything done. Okay, wow. Well, that'd be good. Well, that kind of that's good because you draw into two different groups of, uh, of fandoms to, to that's help right. you. You bring it, your people, and you bring in the folks from the other book. That's right. That's good. Now, one of the things I noticed on the Facebook page is that you have some pages of the artwork mm-hmm. from there, and I think the, I don't know if that's the first page or not, but uh, you've got a page. That, it looks like there's a funeral going on. That's right. That's the funeral of Zach and Vinny's parents going on and it's called into the valley i thought was kind of interesting and then let's just say some guys decide it's time to get it on at some point uh to take it take it they're out their frustrations on each other bar fight bar fight no (laughs) the only they're there for a reason they're picking a fight for a reason but yeah um the unusual thing about these pages is that um i wanted to bring another old friend on board for this. And that's Steve Matson, the colorist for this. Um, when I first approached him, he approached him. He, he was very hesitant. Uh, I don't know if you remember who Steve is, but he worked for DC for a long time. He did Boris the bear. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And he said, well, you know, I've been out of comics for a long time. I really haven't kept up with it. I don't digitally color. And I'm going, so? These days, having something hand colored is very boutique. It's all, you know, it, it's it's unusual now. It used to be that digital coloring was everything that everybody wanted and the, and hand coloring was out. It's kind of reversed now. And what's old is new again. So I can say, yes, all these pages are hand colored. Mm. And some of them are for, actually for sale on here. So, Oh, well, what about the, the artwork too? I mean, are these hand drawn or are these computer generated? Oh, no, everything's hand old school, oh, old boy. school, you, baby. See, that's good because what that, that does, that's an extra source of income for your folks. I mean, they can sell the pages and make a little extra money off of that if that comes in handy. The nice thing I do like about the digital age is that you can, like I can have Alex in Mexico do the pencils. He shoots them to me electronically. I print them out on a Brother Pro um, in blue and ink them on my drawing board. So he has the original pencils. I have the original inks. Now, back in the day when I was working for Marvel in DC, the way that worked was that the pencil would get two-thirds of the original artwork back, and the inker would get one-third. Mm. But now I get to keep the whole thing, 100% mm. of the inks. <laughs> so that works nice at conventions. Yeah, because somebody comes up and says, my gosh, do you have any pages for sale? Oh, yeah. There are a lot of folks that are interested in original art, and uh, it's just a great thing. I thing I really feel badly about, and I know a lot of artists who do everything on the computer, and the bad news is, that revenue stream, as they like to call it, is not available to them. That's right. You, can pr you print out stuff, but nobody wants that because it's all on the computer. And I do digitally ink one book, but um, mostly I'm still old school. And I probably will never give up the old school inking completely. Um, I've got something like over 4,000 pages under my belt at this point. Hmm. Wow. 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 Do you have a library of all these good things? I do. I actually have um, uh, binders of every single thing I've ever done, starting back from the very first one back in uh, nine, uh, 89, I believe. I did some uh, gray washes over uh, Tiger X for eternity. Wow. I lied through my teeth to get that job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sat down and showed my portfolio at San Diego Comic-Con and, and, and uh, I think it was Chris Ulm at Malibu Comics said, um, can you do gray washes? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Not a problem. I didn't have a clue what those were, but I, he hired me and I came home, went to the library, checked out a few books on, on watercolor and, and did the job. And after I did about two or three issues of that, they, they put me on inking on the planet of the apes and I did, 11 issues of that and it kind of took off from there and and i was actually just looking through my um bibliography today and i noticed that in 92 and 93 i was working for five different companies at once wow i was working for malibu um innovation now dc and marvel wow yeah i i would do at a minimum of two books a month wow mm -hmm. you're a workhorse back in those i was days, i was I was, do people still do that kind of stuff, or do people slow down like one issue uh, a month or something? Um, I'm down to one issue a month. I can't keep that schedule up. I was that was 16 hours a day, seven days a week uh, for for a dozen years. I did that. Um, 
And I, the thing is, I never missed a deadline ever. Wow. So that, that was, that's a hard regimen to keep and it wears you down. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I was looking through the pages on here. And there's something I got to ask about. Mm-hmm. I think that's divinity and she's got a shirt with a specific movie character on it. Yeah. Which I find interesting because, you know, anybody that looks on there can see that. Why is she wearing a Chucky shirt? <laughs> she is a horror movie fan. It's one of, it's one of her, she likes, uh, she likes animals, reading, horror movies, skateboarding, Ariana Grande, Zendaya, and Tom Holland. That's her wow. interests. Wow. Okay. <laughs> She's got a lot of variety to her taste. That, obviously, that's cool. That's good for her. Because, see, what that's going to do is that's going to help us understand her. Uh-huh. Get to know her character pretty quickly, which is a good thing. And, you know, it, it's those kinds of little things are, are a lot of details like that are left out on some characters. And I always feel like that's a big mistake. You know, that you're doing that helps us get into her and understand her pretty quickly, which is going to be important. You know, you got a miniseries. You don't have a lot of time to develop the character, but you've done a good job, I think, of, uh, of already establishing who she is within the first few pages. Yep. As you can see from some of the original artwork for sale there, you can already already tell that she's got the thing going for the horror movies on all of her T-shirts and um, the skateboard in at least one of the pieces. Kevin West's piece has a, has a skateboard. So we've got two of her interests there. Um, and she's got this necklace around her neck, too, that was given to her by her parents. And that will all be in every single shot. Wow. Wow. Very cool. I, 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 you know, I have to keep thinking about all those pages that you have, all those, uh, all that artwork. Are you ever going to put together like an artwork book of your stuff? Well, you know, most of the stuff I did back in the 90s has all been gone. It's gone through, it's gone to um, bulk buyers or, or oh. collectors. Uh-huh. I, I have I have a lot of the newer stuff, but it's it's not as well known. I've been working in indies for the last few years, and it seems like people at conventions um, would prefer to have uh, well known characters. And I do have some of those, you know, I've got some, that I've I've done up um, specifically for to sell at conventions. You know, the Superman or not the Superman, uh, Spider Man and uh, Captain America. Um, uh, um, Wonder Woman stuff like that but uh, most of my artwork nowadays are from the indies that I've been working on and it's they don't sell as well because people want something that's very very uh, recognizable mm, okay so it kind of depends on, on you probably have some people that are very interested in that and some of the different artworks and stuff but uh oh. Well, the, the really good connoisseur will buy it because the art is good, not mm. because of the, the character, but the beautiful art. And I, um, I actually sold a, a piece from um, an unprinted. No, it was it was printed, but it was very obscure. Um, uh, I sold a piece to Maggie Thompson for a really nice price, just because the art was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Wow! Very cool. Very cool. Now, you mentioned that you fashioned at least one of the characters after a movie actor. If somebody was to approach you and say, Hey, you know, this would make a great movie. Uh, you, do you have in mind any of the, uh, you've already got one in mind. I mean, the Zach, we already have a good idea who that might be. Do you have any other ideas who the other characters might, uh, you might want? 
I don't for Vinny. Um, like I said, I, I based um, I based Olivia on on an actress uh, by the name of Katrina Cafe. But um, I think by the, if this would ever go into a production for a movie, I, I think at this point Chris Hemsworth is a little too old because because Zach is only supposed to be twenty four. And oh. and this is another thing is that this is ideally suited for television. I mean, mm. it's let me see. We've got one really popular road show out there right now. It's called Supernatural, and that's coming to an end. You know, they it's a it's a self contained episodes and every, with an overarching you know theme to each season. And this would be a perfect fit for that sort of uh, genre. Now I just need to find a Hollywood agent, right? <laughs> it's always thus. <laughs> yes. You know, the only bad thing about that is, you know, there are certain producers that got to put their mark on things. And Divinity might end up being a guy and, oh, yeah. you know, they, they want to do their their shifts and changes and all that. So, I mean, you, you probably have to take the check and run at that point. But uh, that, that, uh, ha- that actually happened to um, Roland. I also ink Cat and Mouse. Uh, for Silverline, which is Roland's book. I'm the regular anchor on that. And several years ago, that was a really popular series back in the, in the 80s and 90s. And Hollywood did actually come knocking on his door. And Cat and Mouse takes place in New Orleans, and it's about this guy and this girl. They're vigilante type, you know. They wanted to move it to L.A., and they wanted to change this. And, and, and by the time, you know, they had put their spin on it, it was unrecognizable. And he actually turned it down. He said, no, that's not. That's not what these are. That's so ridiculous. There's so many people I know, they've, they've signed over the rights. And then when it comes back to them, they look at it and go, what happened to my book? That's exactly right. <laughs> it's not my book. Stephen so. King is, is, a, is big on that. He, he hates the movie ad, most of the movie adaptations of his books. Oh. Well, uh, I, one thing I want to do before we get too far, I do want to do a little bit of talking about Twilight Grimm. While we're on there, I can read some of the description on from the website. It says 20 years ago, the city of hollowed Heights was nearly destroyed as the result of warfare between humans and vampires. In its aftermath, the two factions forged a, an unusual peace plan. A high and heavily guarded wall now splits the two sides of the city. On one side of the wall reside the middle and upper classes of humans. It's clean, beautiful and safe. And on the other side, where a teenaged petty thief named Susie Q has been exiled, lies the darkest and most horrible ghetto imaginable. Here amid squalor and vice dwell the poor, the homeless, the forgotten, and the vampires, led by the family of Gregor Radovic. And we go on from there. It, it, it's a very interesting thing. I, I don't think vampires are quite yet <laughs> have run their course. No, yeah, these don't glitter. By the way, mm, that's good. <laughs> they don't sparkle. Yeah, don't it's like- uh, it's very dystopian. Um, the way that he's got I the little that I know about it, it's very dystopian. You have you have the uh, the nice idyllic um, uh, living on one side of the wall and the dregs of humanity on the other, and uh, basically you're tossed over the wall if you're if you don't fit into the idyllic way. And uh, you're left to the vampires on the other side. So they've got a slum where they both coexist. And basically the humans are food for the vamps. And uh, Twilight Grimm is their 
as their protector mm. from what I can gather. So, I mean, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's got very interesting stuff, so that'll be fun to do. Uh, again, if you go out there, it's the Silver Line Double Feature, Divinity and Twilight Grimm. And I'm looking forward to it. As we're talking, like I said, we're you're halfway there just about. And I'm expecting good things. You've got almost 100 backers at this point, which is really great. So uh, there's, there's, we can go up from there. There's lots of good things to build on. And I think this is going to be lots of fun. I think Divinity, there's a lot of fun coming in. Then I, I, I bet you have more than just the first four issues in mind. Oh yeah, for Divinity. Yeah, I've got. I already got the one with the religious fanatic all plotted out. Okay. <laughs> there's going to be lots of fun for these good things. It's going to be great. And Barbara, I, I can't wait to see this good stuff. I can't wait to read this. This is going to be good, good material to read. Like I said, the, the female characters already got me fascinated. So I'm going to be really anxious to see this. Uh, are there other things you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, like I said before, I am the inker for Cat and Mouse, also through right. Silverline. I'm doing almost exclusively through Silverline at the moment. Oh, okay. Um, um, I'm coloring um, an old classic of Silverline's from the 80s called Sirens. I'm digital coloring that, and that'll be coming out in um, uh, graphic novel form when I'm finished with that. And I keep the books. So there was, uh, when the comics fell apart in the year 2000 uh, and most of us had to go out and find uh, split our time between comics and a real world. I went back to what I used to do and that was accounting. So I'm also a corporate accountant. Oh. So I'm double, I'm doing double duty for Silverline. Wow. That's an interesting combination. I know. Right brain, left brain, right? Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> usually people do one or the other, but not both. So that's, yeah. that's really interesting combination. That, that's great. You don't, if you get confused, do you start putting numbers into on the page or something like that? If that happens? No, 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 no. That's totally, I keep that separate. Okay. <laughs> I'm either focused on one or the other. I can't focus and do both at the same time. Okay. Well, now, if people want to follow you as far as social media and things like that, where can they do that? Well, fortunately, I am the only Barbara Kalberg on the Internet. Oh, you um, lucky person. I know. There is another one out there. She happens to be my sister-in-law, but she is not on the internet. So if you just type my name in on Google, you'll come up with about, I don't know, 5,000 sites or so. Uh, but the first few that pop up is Facebook. It's it's easy to find me on Facebook. Just put in Barbara Kilberg. Um, I'm on Twitter, B-J-K-L-B-R-G, or Barbara Kilberg. Um, I do Tumblr, but uh, you really don't want to look me up there. It's a, it's a, it's a cesspool. It's a total cesspool. Uh, and I don't have an Instagram, unfortunately, and I don't TikTok either. Okay. How about spelling Kaleberg so people know? Yeah, it's K-A-A-L-B-E-R-G. Yeah, because some folks don't get that, you know, as as because there's no uh, uh, pronunciation guides on things, and so I always want to make sure people spell and pronounce their names, so yeah, we actually got, know that it's got a double A. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. Well, Barb's always great talking with you, and much success with this. I, let's see, we we should mention too when this is going to come to a conclusion. It's going to conclude on Saturday, June the sixth, at three o'clock Eastern time in the afternoon. So of course it's all or nothing. So we need to get in there and make sure that the thing happens. So we get lots more of this good stuff and Barbara, I wish you much success with this. I'm sure this is going to go and we're going to get to see lots of divinity and twilight grim in the future. So be sure to keep it up. 
Thank you. I'm, that's the, the, the goal is to make a success of it. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Great to welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Hedrick, creator of two great indie books, one of them called Capable, and the other one called Freak Show Princess. And Jonathan is a, a local guy for me down here in Florida. I had a chance to meet you, Jonathan, and I missed out because I had to work today that uh, you guys were at Kingdom of Comics. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on, Wayne. I appreciate it. It's good to talk with you. Let's start, start with your first book, which was Freak Show Princess, which I got the chance to read. Freak Show Princess, why don't you talk a little bit about that and give us a little bit of background about that? Yeah, Freak Show Princess is a uh, zombie one-shot story that I wrote actually 10 years ago as a short story. And I kind of dusted off the, the digital dust, if you will, um, after seeing a, a live YouTube interview with Doug Wagner. You might be familiar with him. He wrote uh, Plastic and The Ride. And I had just got done being rejected uh, for a contest to be uh, like a comic book reviewer at a popular um, speculator comic book website that I won't mention their name. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I was feeling down and out about that because there was very limited people that were in uh, that contest and um, I really put a lot into it. And I never picked thought of myself as someone that could cross into a comic book as a comic book writer. I always wanted to be in the industry somehow. Um, but when I saw that interview with Doug, I, I asked him how, what his suggestion would be to a writer to get break into comic books. And he said, just make your own comic book it, with the availability of technology nowadays, you can just go online and you can find someone uh, and send, email them the script and they can email you back the art and so forth. And three days later I found an artist in the Facebook group and we were making a comic book and it all just kind of fell into place after that. So that's the leap I haven't been able to make. I I, I'm a reviewer Mm -hmm. uh, and I, you know, I, I can tell you what works. I said that works, or that doesn't work. But I coming up with the story is the part that I haven't been able to make the leap from. Well, reviewing is is just as hard, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I I've done both amateur, and I really think reviewing is even more difficult, if not just as same, because you know you want to put things in a certain way without being insulting, but and also without spoiling. It, it's a it's a lot. So I, I'm. I have a lot of respect for that. 
I like to tease, but I don't want to spoil. Right. I'm going to give an idea, something, an idea what's coming, but I don't want to tell you right out. That's right. Yeah. So, because I don't want, I want you to be able to enjoy it just as much as I did. So I'm always trying to make sure that uh, people get all that, uh, the same experience that I did. So, well, that's cool. So, so you said you came up with this idea about 10 years ago. What what was it that uh, got the idea in your head? 10 years ago, I was probably reading a lot of zombie fiction at that time and watching a lot of zombie movies. Walking Dead, I don't think was on the air yet, but it was just getting like the full steam ahead as far as the comic book was going. I was just picking up everything zombie and, so I just kind of took a crack at a short story and shipped that out off to a couple of online horror magazines and suspense magazines. And no one really took a bite out of it, so I I kind of filed it away. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, after seeing that interview with Doug, I started uh, looking at how to researching how to write it in a script format. And it came out to a good 24 pages. So I said, why not see if there's anything you know I can make out of this? Mm-hmm. Now, so. let me read the description as it says on Comixology. It says, Jessica and her dog Harley are waiting out a zombie apocalypse in her boarded-up home. As the threat in- increases outside, Jessica remembers the events that led her to her current situation. And interestingly enough, this is you submitted this to Comixology, it looks like, because it's under their submit program yes yep it's made underneath the myself yep wow that's cool now how did you find ben warrell who's the the artist there's a facebook group called i might be butchering the name uh comic book connecting comic book writers and artists uh, may have changed a conjunction there or something but um that facebook group has been very vital for me as a indie comic book creator to find finding someone I want to work with, be it a, an artist, a colorist, um, a letterer, flatter, and so forth, editors. So uh, I found Ben, I um, and he had his stuff up there promoting, you know, that he was available for work. And we got to talking, and things came into place. He, he's, uh, he had been writing his own comic book and drawing it underneath his own uh, uh, imprint called uh, – Sheath Comics over in Colorado Springs. So he, he had some experience and he helped to guide me uh, in how to kind of navigate through the process of um, the, you know, this is where we, all right, after five pages, maybe you should send this to the colorist. So the colorist, that way you're not waiting for 24 pages to be complete, then you send it. That, you know, uses a streamline effect. So Ben was a, a, a big help with that. He had some good experience. That's one of the things about the indie community I always like is that people support each other and advise each other Uh along these lines. And you don't get that in the bigger companies, which is sad to say. It really is. The great thing is is that you got to do that. And uh, and my understanding is is that uh, there might be some – one of the things I loved about the book is the, the, the name Freak Show. Yeah, uh, we find out where that comes from in the book. Right, that's something that Jessica actually uses, and it's, it's really an interesting uh, story about that. I, I, I got to ask: Was this before Harley Quinn? Is that why the dog was named Harley? This was uh, it had nothing to do with Harley Quinn, and okay. uh, it has a 
a lot to do with more of Harley Davidson. And that's just kind of kind of a uh, inside thing for me. But it does get explored in um, the uh, follow-up or the companion piece to Freak Show Princess that should be coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. And as we said, it's out on Comixology if you want to get a hold of it. If somebody wants to get a hold of a print copy, is there a way they can do that? The best way to get a hold of a physical copy at the moment is if they reach out to me on social media and just DM me on either uh, Instagram or Facebook. I can arrange something and mail them a copy directly. Or um, if you want to be a little bit more um, uh, helpful to the indie community, maybe ask your local comic book store if they can reach out to me, and I'd be happy to send them several copies. And uh, that way you're – LCS is making you know some money, and then you're getting a physical copy. And you know, if you're in another state, that's great, uh, bigger exposure for me too. So yeah. there's ways it's, around it. It's a good time to do it too, because comic book stores are starting to reopen. Yeah, uh, when you and I are talking, so that's a right. a little different than where we've been for the last couple of months. So it's that's I'm for hopeful. sure. Yeah. I'm hopeful because now have we seen the end of the Freak Show universe? No, we're going to see another uh, chapter later on this year. The title is called Freak Show Night with K-N-I-G-H-T. And that's going to be a separate one shot, but still it's still going to have a common thread from Freak Show Princess. So both of them can be read separately. But if you've read Freak Show Princess, you'll pick up on some Easter eggs, for lack of better words, in Freak Show Night. And that one's... um, Full steam ahead with the art on that one. Got five out of 24 pages complete from my artist. And um, that should be out in October with probably a Kickstarter launching late August. So that way I can um, run the campaign through September and then ship it in October. So you can get it a nice zombie book around Halloween season. Yeah, you and I were talking before we started recording about the fact that certain books just cry out to come out a certain time of the year, and this book just screams Halloween to me. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, it's got that black and orange kind of colors to the front of it. It was a lot of fun to have out during um, Halloween time. But the the Saturday after it came out, I uh, was at the um, the convention. And the night before, I did a zombie pub crawl. So I just had everything was zombie for me that week. You know, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think zombies are, are, are uh, you know, because Walking Dead is starting to, in my opinion, start to fizzle out, which yeah. is sad, you know. But on, uh, do you think that zombies are, have kind of run their course, or do you think there's still a lot of life? Yeah, I think that it's it's a genre of its own that uh, it, done in the right way, it could really you can still see some fresh ideas. You, know, you there's a lot of um, it's easy to go cheap with it and start bending it and mixing it with another genre. You know, zombie sharks or whatever. You know, uh, it, it, that's too easy. But then if you you can tell a story like freak show princess that has underlying themes about sacrifice and loss of love and things that we do for people with zombies in the background you know there's still a lot that can be done with that you know no one's people aren't going to stop writing uh westerns or sci-fi they just got you got to find something original in it and you can play in that that background Mm mm-hmm 
Well, I'm fascinated to see your book uh, in time for Halloween. It won't be Halloween unless I get to read that. So I'm going to be. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm going to be looking forward to that. So that'll be good stuff to do. So, well, let's get into your other book because I'm really interested in the other book too, which is the one, first one I got to read of yours. It's called Capable. Yes. And the, the logo I, I get a kick out of. Uh, yeah. Who designed the logo for you? That would be my letter for Capable, Steve Ekstrom. He came up with that logo, and we, me and him had uh, – he's actually local to me uh, in my county, Brevard County. So we were able to meet up for coffee uh, prior to starting the project, and we were talking about the logo. Uh, I have a, a handicap friend who pointed out to me that they were changing the handicap, the universal handicap symbol from what we know it to be to something that's a little bit more active, it, where it's like the – person in the chair is leaning forward a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, so we kind of went on with that and added the, um, made that part of the E and capable And a lot of the, what I really wanted to push in the, uh, the title was the play on the words Cape, you know, it's a superhero book Cape and then capable. So that's why the, um, you'll see the, the figure in the wheelchair with the Cape on it. Uh, so Steve knocked it out of the park with that logo. I couldn't be, more happy with it. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, you've, you've already answered one of the questions I was going to ask about because, you know, I, I, I'd have trouble doing this kind of, well, oh, maybe what you should do first is tell what the story's about. Okay. Yes. Um, so Capable is set in a world where one day random people throughout the planet who have a disability, not everyone, but people, some people with disabilities have woken up with a, a superpower that's opposite to what their handicap was. So, for example, our main character, Derek Davidson, he's in a wheelchair um, without the use of his legs. He wakes up, and now he's uh, a speedster like The Flash or Quicksilver. In issue one, we kind of see that origin story of what uh, a teenage kid who's been a been handicapped for his whole life for the most part now has a superpower and how quickly they're going to have to adapt to that. And throughout the series, I'm going to play with how the world would deal with uh, a community that kind of flips overnight like that. So as you can imagine, there's not going to be, uh, there's going to be some people that aren't going to do the right thing with those type of uh, newfound powers. I've got to ask a question. I and you you've already answered. I think <laughs> you you know somebody who can kind of give you insight. Yes. Into what that's all about, because I would have terrible trouble, you right. know, making it realistic and making it you know b believable. Right. Did, did, did just friend of yours kind of help you with this story? Or give you you know lots of help as far as like understanding you know what the the main character goes through. Well. Um I, I always wanted to approach the story in a respectful way, but without also pandering to the um, PWD, the people with disability community. I didn't want to be a voice to them, but I also wanted to tell it as a way that anyone who, any whether you're handicapped or not, could understand where this main character is coming from. So I, I didn't show it to my friend till after the fact. Um, after the story was complete and he actually did uh, point out a few things saying that, well, that actually wouldn't it uh, occur or, uh, it, that would be a little bit different, but that's also his perspective. Not everyone 
in the disability community probably has the same exact experience as him. But um, I also, for issue two, I switched my editor. Uh, Steve, um, the letter was also, he was doing a overtime lettering and editing for issue one. But I brought on a different editor for issue two and, and going forward, she's going to be the editor as long as she wants to be. She has cerebral palsy. And she, she's not only is checking, uh, you know, my story and my grammar punctuation, but she's also kind of giving it that extra lens or that extra filter of, you know, sensitivity just to make sure I don't go overboard because it's, it's, it is for mature readers. Mm-hmm. But I've had to tell, warn people at conventions because they see that, that uh, cover for issue one and they, you know, they, it, it, it's, kind of leans towards a youthful audience. But w- when I was in high school, I didn't want that safe stuff. I wanted something that spoke the language that I spoke. And I was I was a vulgar kid. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I cussed and I watched R- R-rated movies and listened to, you know, uh, hardcore stuff and music. So I, I have to warn parents about that. Because it's not for it, it, it's not meant to be safe. And again, I use the word um, pandering because I don't want to, anyone to think that I was I'm pandering to that community. It's more of telling a story where the main character is in that community, but I'm not mm-hmm. speaking for them. Because mm-hmm. I noticed that Derek and his friend Harry. Harry uses crutches, and Derek uses a wheelchair. Right. And Derek is still he's always constantly being surprised by what uh, <laughs> Harry says because yes. Harry like you're saying he's a little bit more uh, he's a little less uh, PC <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right and that, that that actually makes them very human that's one yes. thing I really liked about the book was that I really got the feeling that these people were genuine you know that 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 if we came across people in this circumstance, they might act, many of them might act like this. And I, that right. was really educational to me. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. So I appreciate you saying that, Wayne. It's really interesting, too. I guess now you have a different artist. How did you find this artist? Uh, the artist, I also found him on that same Facebook group, uh, Gino Casmiantu. He's based out of Indonesia. And God bless him, because I don't want to say his rates over the podcast, but he has a very affordable rate, and I'm super happy with the product that he gives me. And and not that he does deserve more, but he, he could get more. But what I, if I pay him, it still goes a long way. He tells me what he – working in indie comics, I've learned, because I have people on several books in different continents. This is a global effort. And it's we're impacting people all over the place. So you know, when I PayPal Gino money for you know five pages, it goes a long way for him over there. So that's what I really enjoy about the most. Not I don't want to say that I'm hand in being you know like I'm some type of philanthropist or anything, but he's giving me a product. I I'm happy with it. He's getting something out of it too, and we both love the story. We talk about it all the time on Facebook Messenger, and he's eager to see what comes out more. And we've actually we're we've done two issues and a ten-page side story, and we're about to start on issue three. So yeah, I really really enjoyed working with Gino. It's been enlightening and a bit a lot very educational for me 
uh, doing these indie books with so many people in different countries. Well, I have to say, I really like the art. The art is very professional looking. I, I yeah. you know, I, 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 I could see this. I could see this person doing stuff for Marvel or DC very soon. Yeah, I, I hope so. Yeah, I think he'd be like a great Spider-Man, you know, artist. To be honest, uh, yeah, it's, it's really that. good. And, and there's two things I always like about uh, artwork, and I judge artwork by is facial expressions and by action sequences. Yes, he does a good job on both of those. Yeah, I think that the like Derek's face, you know, pretty quickly what he's feeling, and people around him too. I think he does a very good job with that. And then when something starts to happen. We also get the sense of of knowing what's going on, and he doesn't do everything on panel. Sometimes people are running off panel or something like that, because right. that gives the effect of speed. Exactly. When yep. he's doing that, so good, very nicely done. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge to to draw something like speed, because especially it's hard to write it as well. So to give him the proper art direction and him to translate to what I was thinking. Uh, is speaks a lot to his craft. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something that that not everybody who gets powers necessarily does the right things with them, and we actually get to experience that in this first book. And more than that, I'm not going to say, but let's just say it hits home with Derek. It does, yeah. Is what's going on, and it's I'm just so fascinated. You know, because you said now you got number two pretty much going, and then number three is coming. Yeah. Do you have like an arc in mind for this this book, or do you know how many issues you want to tell? Well, my first outline is for four uh, issues, but with more, I want to do more definitely. But the first arc is four issues plus a, a ten page side story. So um, yeah, the issues three is complete as far as the script, and issue two. Most of the art is done, and I launch a Kickstarter for issue two. I need about maybe 10 more pages colored, and that can be done within 30 days. So that's why I'm launching the the Kickstarter. It'll be under the name Capable? Correct. Yep. People want to go to my Kickstarter and follow my bio, and they'll get updates on it. You know, it occurs to me we better spell your last name so people get it right. How do you spell your last name? H-E-D-R-I-C-K. Yeah, because sometimes I, I know people who get to the internet and they're, and they're sure. baffled because they can't find it because yeah. they think it's spelled one way and it's not necessarily. Right. Yeah. And, but but I, I just enjoyed this first book tremendously. I, Thank you. Like, like I said, I, I like books that take me somewhere I haven't been. Right. And experiencing things because I don't know what people in this circumstance, what they yeah. feel about what's going on around them and what they're experiencing. And so for me, this was a real eye opener to me. I just, you know, that's I was just wondering, you know, where, where the idea and stuff came from and how you constructed these characters. Are any of them based on your friend or are they just totally from people in your imagination? I, I think um, with, with the two main characters that you see in that issue, Derek and, and Harry, I think both of them are two different versions of myself. There's the introvert and the extrovert that um, e- even though I, uh, I'm i not uh, – I don't identify as a disabled person, but I, I've had some of those experiences that you see Derek and Harry have with you know bullies in high school and the awkwardness around the – the girl that you like and and we'll we'll see things with um, how things happen at home as well in further issues. So I pull a lot of my own experiences with that and then add the twist that this is someone that 
has a, a superpower now. So it still has to live their life, but with now these newfound uh, powers. So it, it's been a lot of fun to explore. See, the thing I'm interested in, so this is going to be his, his uh, Derek's state of being from now on. He's not going to go back to the wheelchair? Um, there, I mean, for the, for now, I, I, there could, maybe there's going to be a bad guy in the future that could take away his powers. Um, not, not sure if that's going to happen or not. But the, one of the challenges of writing this series is if I keep him in just superpower mode, then it's going to... Uh, take away from the purpose of the book and, and the title of Capable. So it needs to always have that um, that theme of this is a world where people now have uh, a superpower and they used to be disabled. So that needs to be the, the main purpose of each issue. So we, what's going to be interesting is I think there's going to be more exploring that with other characters as well. Because you know, right now we we saw some in issue one. We see someone with a physical disability, but there's also mental disabilities as well, and how that could play out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Because you know, honestly, this is something I think we could use more understanding about. Yes. And so I I would love to see this book get a lot more play, a lot more you know exposure and stuff. How, how do people get capable? I mean, basically, we know it's on Comicsology. We've talked about that. Uh, is it the same situation as far as like print copies or paper copies? Did they, we they get a hold of you? Yeah, reach out to me or, or re, uh, reach out to your uh, local comic book store and have them contact me. But uh, again, the Kickstarter should be uh, live on the day after Memorial Day, and you can get both copies, issue one and two, on that Kickstarter. There's there's plenty of re- uh, reward options that I'm going to have available as as cheap as uh, a five dollar. Um, digital bundle for each issue or uh, $10 for um, both physical lots of variant covers too. So I'm I'm excited for this one to launch. See, it's so interesting to me because, you know, I, I, you know, everybody always says, no, superheroes have been done. There's nothing that you can do that's new and original in superheroes. And yet this book to me is very original. It's interesting because, you know, the uh, uh, Barbara Gordon was uh, Oracle for quite right. a long time. Yeah. And then DC made the decision to go bring her back as Batgirl. Right. And so there's another Oracle, but that Oracle is not wheelchair. Exactly. Person. And I've heard, I've heard of that. Uh, that's been brought to me since I've put out capable is there's not that representation anymore. Cause Barbara Gordon as Oracle was like the, everyone's main, you know, uh, focus. Uh, when you think of a disabled uh, comic book character, and now that she's gone, but uh, again, me going into this wasn't to try to fill that void. It was just I thought a good story to tell. Mm-hmm. Well, DC put out a, a young adult book called Oracle, in which right. she's still in the wheelchair. Yes, there's this that thing happens, and it's her dealing with it when that first happens to her. Yeah. I actually thought this one was much more compelling. Thank you. To me, than that. Much as I enjoyed the other book, I, I, this one was the one I thought was more human about it. The other one, they get they, they get very involved in a, a mystery of sorts, and that kind of dominates the latter half of the book. Which you know, it, it's good, but this one to me was something that made me feel like I started to get to know these people. I, the best books in my mind are the one that make me fall into it. Is uh, you know, Frank Miller once said when he opened up a Batman comic, he started to read, he fell in. Yeah. 
And I love that expression to it. And when I when I read your book, I have that same experience. I'm lost in the capable world for a while, and and yeah. I get to know these people, and I want to, I want more of that kind of thing. You know, I, I, you know, I love puzzles as much as the next person. I love the fact that they were trying to solve a mystery in that book, and I, I love mysteries too. But mm-hmm. to me, yours was the more human and humane of the books, oh, and thank I, you. I, I definitely want to see more of this. I want to see. I, I, gosh, I wish that more people knew about Capable, and uh, I, I wish there was a better, a good way to get to – see, we're in this time now when it's kind of difficult to, to get out in the conventions and things like that. Yeah, yeah that's been a challenge. Yeah. I would really love to see this book get a lot more play and a lot more uh, – I don't, I don't want to say advertising in the sense, but more uh, – Exposure or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People, more people know about it because I think this is a kind of comic I think that could really take off with the right – you know, uh, yeah. right exposure, as you said. I, I think that would be a wonderful thing to see. Well, hopefully the, uh, the Kickstarter does does well. And I'm not saying that just because it's my project and, you know, I want to get funded, obviously. But I, I also created um, several retailer uh, rewards where if an LCS, you know, wants to pick up 25 copies of either issue, there there's uh, a, re- a pledge available for them to that to get that. And it's at a, an affordable price where they could resell those issues and still make profit off of it. So I'm, I'm doing the best I can without printing 3,000 copies and going, fighting through Diamond to, to, sell, to sell it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't get me started on Diamond. <laughs> right. I, I, I have this awful thing about Diamond. Anyway, <laughs> I, we won't get into that here. That'll distract us. That's a whole other podcast. Episode. Yeah, it's a whole a whole hour's worth of conversation mm-hmm. right there. But uh, yeah. yeah, so now you were at Kingdom of Comics. Is that the uh, – as I remember, this is where Richard Rivera got me a, co- a physical copy of Capable. Do they sell paper copies there? They do, yep. Uh, I'm fortunate enough and my – where I live, there's about four comic book stores it, it, within the maximum distance of one of them is 45 minutes. And those four comic book stores, including Kingdom of Comics, have all been so supportive of the indie community here. Because I'm not the only guy in Brevard County that's doing this, too. And uh, I got uh, Travis Gibb that lives here. He uh, writes a comic book called Broke Down Four Dead Bodies. David Galliano, who writes a comic book for Mad Cave Studios called Savage Bastards. And we, we all live here in Brevard County, and these four stores have uh, welcomed us with open arms. Anytime we want to come in there, you know, we can just pull up a table, start selling our stuff. Every time we have a new book, they buy our stuff, too, and help promote it. So that, uh, Some people don't even have a comic book store in their same city. And I, I'm fortunate enough to have four of them that are very supportive. And I don't, I honestly don't think I would be able to have done this without the, the support of my local comic book stores. So yeah, See, Kingdom, great people over there. It's so interesting to me because you know when I moved to Florida about five years ago, I came down here thinking I'm going to be in the comics wasteland. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, nobody down here is going to be interested in comics. There'll be like a one store and maybe in all of Orlando, which was the biggest city near to me. And I'd have yeah. to, you know, I'd, I'd struggle to find stuff, but I have come to find this huge comics community down here. Yeah. All these 
different peoples and different companies all making great comics and stuff like that. And I'm always just amazed at it because, you know, New York used to be the hub. If you wanted to make comics, you went to New York City. Of course, and yeah. now, you know, I, I don't know. I, I like it, Orlando area. There's several around and, and I've right. talked with several of them on this podcast. I talked to Travis recently on this podcast too. Yeah. And there's just a lot of interesting things that people down here are really interested in comics and making comics. Yeah. And, and I'm always just fascinated by that. Cause I really did not expect to find that down here, but it's such a wonderful thing. It's a, a great community to be part of, to, you know, I, I, this way I get to meet people like you and, and, and to get to promote your great work because, you know, I, I'm just so stunned that there's all this great quality down here. And I'm just really pleased to, to have it down here. Yeah, it, it's been great because, you know, it, it's one thing to have an online community. But when you can actually meet up with some of, you know, your colleagues and at a, a coffee shop or something and and you, you're, you're talking your craft, it, it goes a long way. And to be... Uh, like uh, at, when uh, Dave uh, Dave's first issue of Savage Bastards uh, came out, uh, one of the stores he was doing a signing at Famous Faces and Funnies in Melbourne. I went there to support him, and then one thing led to another, and the owner asked me to sit down next to Dave and and uh, sign some of the copies of my books. That you know, and I didn't mean to crash Dave's signing, but you know, I, I wouldn't have had that if I was living in someplace that didn't wasn't so supportive right you know you want to get over to the orlando area too because the one that we go to uh richard and i there's one called crumbs world and it's over in winter garden and she is the lady diane who runs that store is so supportive of our stuff and his book stabity bunny they often say that that's like the second biggest seller in her store behind star wars Oh wow! Yeah, I'm not surprised though. Uh, that Stabity Bunny, he he's got a good thing going on with that. That's a very marketable book. Sure. That's good stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, once once all the the quarantine stuff gets lifted and, and people can be at 100, percent I plan on you know doing a, a quick road trip. Orlando's just a hop, skip, and a jump for me, and I want to knock out like just introduce myself in person because some of these guys are uh, when I send them Facebook messages or like, okay, who's this guy, blah, blah, blah. But if I could go into the store, bring them a couple of copies, show them my business card, offer to sign some stuff and, and tell them the rates of my issues, how each copy is, I, maybe I can make out you know more in just my little small county and search mm-hmm. out a little further. Mm-hmm. And and Diana is very supportive of indie people, and that's you know, great. She's really big, but you know, she was one of the. We used to go to another store, which shall not be named, <laughs> and we used to spend thousands of dollars in there. And they just sort of went, "Oh, you've got a comic." And Diane was like, oh, man, we'll get out there. We'll promote it. Well, she's got signs in the window. She was having signings. She she told everybody who might even be remotely interested in it. And they people added to their subscriptions and stuff like that. It was just hugely, you know, helpful, especially when you're getting started, as as you well know, when you're getting going, every book counts. And and she was so helpful. Yeah, with all of that. Just it's just such great stuff. And and, uh, it's hard if you. Unless you make that personal connection, it, it is. Yeah. It's, so unfortunately, sometimes you got to make a trip and 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 go around and, and stop some places. But I hardly right now. Let, let let's get back to capable for a second because okay. I, I you said that number two mm-hmm. is Kickstarter will be done. Do you know when the book is going to be ready? Um, I'm hoping in um, 
June, it'll be done so I can uh, put it into print in time for people to get it in July. So I, I'd like to be able to um, do some signings, and I'm hoping the world will be ready for signings uh, by July. So if you do the Kickstarter, which I have that's ending at the end of June, and I put I start packaging things up and sending things at my uh, at the end of my campaigns prior to me getting the funding to Kickstarter, right? Mm. Kickstarter, I send things out immediately. So. This can be in people's hands in July for sure. For capable oh, cool. or um, the digital copy could be uh, sooner for some mm-hmm. for some backers. Oh, that'd be cool because yeah. all those things are good. Because you know, I do write reviews, and I'll have to write a review yes, uh, when the second one comes out. So I have to make sure I get one of those when that happens. So you mentioned number three. Do you have? Are you going to kickstart that one as well? I hope so. Yep that that one is um, still just the script. I haven't sent that one to Gino yet. Um, my editor is uh, still looking it over. Um, she's had her handful because I sent her issue three and the ten page side story that's probably going to come out sometime this year as well. But I had her do the side story first, and Gino's uh, doing that that art first. But uh, yeah, three. I'll, I'll probably do a Kickstarter. I didn't. I didn't do a Kickstarter for Capable One, so this Kickstarter is going to be both. It's going to be one, you know, campaign for one and two. So yeah, there's lots of lots of rewards. There's uh, an exclusive Kickstarter cover for each issue. Plenty of things to choose from, and I think people are going to be really excited about it. Yeah, there's so many groups. I think that you know that that you could appeal to to get yeah. the word out about this, and I just think they would really love it. Yeah, I hope you know. so. Yeah. It's just a terrific. See, if you haven't read, you know, Capable, you, you're missing something really great because it's a, oh, a like I said, a human story. It, and the great thing about it, too, is you don't go the well-trod comic book route, right. shall we say. Uh, yeah, as I'm I really said. proud of it. Yeah, it, 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 that's uh, – I really, really appreciate you saying that, Wayne, because it's um, – that was my first stab at an ongoing series, so um, I wanted to do something that could uh, could breathe every issue. So mm-hmm. that was great. I, I I am so looking forward to other ones. It's it, it's hard to believe after reading it that the, that's the first one of the of, your, of <laughs> that because it it really shines. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's it's really great. And that now, as far as your future goes, uh, mm-hmm. I know there's stuff you can't necessarily talk about, but there are good things coming. I understand. Yeah. So, um, I, I do have another title I've been uh, working on for a while. Uh, it's called the recount and, uh, it's a political thriller. And by me, I like to tell people that at this point, when I say that I have a political thriller book is, now you see me in three different genres. I've done my, my zombie horror book. I've done my superhero book and now a political thriller trying to kind of stretch my, you know, creativity and not box myself into one genre. So the recount, I expect that one to come out later this year, but the, uh, the story behind that one is it's a, uh, again, it's a political thriller and the elevator pitch I tell people is it's house of cards meets the purge. Mm. So a um, political figure that's hated by many people who corrupted his way into power is assassinated. But that organization or that cult that took him out, that's just the beginning. They want to take out everyone that got him into power as well. 
So that includes the lobbyists, the other politicians, and even the people who voted for him, and hence the name The Recount. Oh, my so gosh. It, it's, a, it's a really dark and violent book, but it's not violent just for the sake of entertainment. There's purpose behind it. And um, the pages are beautiful. The, uh, my artist uh, on this book, his name is Gabriel uh, Ibera Nunez. He did a book over at Scout called Graveland, mm. and his art is amazing. Everything looks like it just jumps off the page. It's got this gritty, gritty look to it. And um, uh, I also lucked out and brought my same colorist from Freak Show Princess on, mm. Sunil Gagar. He's, cool. he's, he's doing the colors on that one. And then um, my letterer, who I'm very thankful to have, is Christian Dopolomansky. He's also an inker. He's done several books at Scout, and um, he did Zenober, uh, Jazz Legend. So he, I kind of stacked the deck with this one. I really, mm. I, I was fortunate enough to get some good talent, and we're having a lot of fun with it. I think a lot of people are gonna like this book just for the fact that it's um, it's dark, it's heavy, but it, it's very timely as well, as you can. People may know with the political climate that we're in, it kind of speaks to that without choosing a side. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is good. We, we need more of that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, because the good thing about a good writer, I think, is, is are people that don't only write one kind of writing. Yeah, uh, thank I, you, I, there's so many people I know. I mean, they're, you know, there are people get known for Westerns and that's all they sure. ever do Westerns. And I'm like, I wonder what they would ever do with a crime drama, but you never know because yeah. all they do is Westerns. Right. And so for me, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're, you're, you're stretching different muscles and doing different kinds of, of writing because, you know, different kinds of storytelling are going to give you good experience and different kinds of stories. And I think that's going to be something good for your future, I think, and good for us fans who get to read the stuff we're going to really yeah. enjoy that i think so too yeah thank you yeah which of course leads to the next important thing if we're going to keep up with these good things what's the best way to do that like as far as like social media goes yeah i, I post fairly regularly on uh, twitter and instagram for my handle for twitter is jonathan hedrick without the vowels <laughs> the j-n-t-h-n-h-d-r-c-k and, and same thing with uh, on Instagram. I usually post a little bit heavier when um, I have gearing up for something to be released. And you can also follow me on, on Facebook as well. I just, I'm not the, that, uh, uh, well, except for my groups that I'm in, that's usually where I'm posting. That, that's the best social media way to get a hold of me. Do you have a website or anything like that? I don't. I'm in the process of creating one. It's one of, one of my uh, big things on my to-do list. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately that's the thing. Your to-do list keeps growing. The, it, the more, yep. Check the more one off and add two more on. <laughs> that's right. That's what's going on with that. Uh -huh. Well, Jonathan, I really like it's capable to me just as a, a, a shiny example of what we have in our futures as far as uh, good reading from you. So I'm really looking forward to that. I, I enjoyed Freak So Princess, but this one, the capable really, really got me so i'm gonna Great. i'm gonna be definitely be buying your stuff from now on and keeping up oh, with all your good stuff I appreciate and that. jonathan i can't wait to see what else you're gonna do in the future as well as your political drama i, I don't know you might do a western someday you never know i, I ragged on <laughs> westerns a little you never know maybe we'll, we'll see my, my buddy dave has his hand full over with uh savage bastards and 
Yeah, he's done a heck of a job with that one, so I don't want to step on his toes, but uh, we'll see. And that's a wrap for this episode. Until next time, keep reading your comics.